every country Trees, you know we can Work together and learn what we need To meet the challenge Traditional skills and modern techniques Whatever language you speak You have a world to offer Every day, climb with the ISA Welcome to the ISA Science of Arboriculture podcast series. This series was developed by the International Society of Arboriculture and is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts, caring for America's trees since 1907. This podcast series offers full-length educational talks by the world's top researchers, educators, and practitioners, helping to keep you up to date with developments in the arboriculture industry. Today's talk is by Dave Johnson, with more than 30 years experience in the horticulture and arboriculture industry. He is currently providing support and technical information to the field operations unit of the Asplen Tree Experts Company. This podcast features his talk on the effects and recovery efforts following Superstorm Sandy. It was originally presented at the 2014 ISA International Conference in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. First of all, I want to thank everybody for, uh, for coming today. I know it's the last session. When I looked and I saw that I was the speaker for the last session, I, uh, I got psyched. You, you might wonder why. It's because you people are the hardcore people. You are the faithful. And I know you're going to be interested uh, because you wouldn't be sitting here unless you, you were interested in the talk here. So uh, I actually enjoy doing the, uh, the last one of the day. This was a huge storm. They, they call it Superstorm Sandy. It was not technically a hurricane, although it started as a hurricane. It kind of merged with a, a nor'easter coming in and uh, affected a huge amount of area. It was 1,100 miles in diameter. It uh, impacted 24 different states. It got to about 115 miles per hour and it caused $68 billion worth of damage in the U.S. It caused about $100 million in Canada. I don't know whether that's Canadian dollars or American dollars, but they only got hit a little bit. We got hit pretty badly. Uh, just to put it in perspective here, here's some statistics. Uh, it, was, it went for about nine, uh, nine days overall from start to finish. In, in New York City alone, 10,000 trees got knocked down, 68,000 they're predicting are going to be uh, in trouble because of the salt damage associated with this storm here. And the second costliest hurricane in U.S. history, the first of course being Katrina that hit uh, Louisiana and Mississippi. Just wanted to give you perspective as to exactly where uh, some of the stories I'm going to tell you are. The, uh, I know we have a pretty diverse audience here. Uh, this ugly-looking state that looks like an old, uh, an old woman looking west with a, an old pillbox hat there, that's New Jersey. Uh, up here is, uh, is Connecticut. This is Long Island. And this whole group right there of, uh, of X's is uh, New York City and, and New York uh, Harbor. The uh, New Jersey coastline right along here. This is Baltimore. And this is the uh, western part of Maryland that... Uh, I'll point out during one of these, one of these little stories here. I wanted to start with, uh, with looking at some of the damage 
and, and I don't have a lot of pictures of, uh, of buildings or anything along those lines. This, this is strictly going to be all about trees. So just giving a quick little overview. It's Milford, Connecticut, Brooklyn, New York. Trees all going down the same way. Same thing in South Richmond Hill, the Bronx, Brooklyn again, Staten Island, Coney Island, which doesn't have a lot of trees to begin with, so they really took a hit. Jersey City, one of the largest cities in, uh, in New Jersey. Up there in Ontario, Canada, some damage. Lehigh University, which is in uh, Pennsylvania, right on the uh, other side of the Delaware that separates New Jersey and, Pencil and Pennsylvania, and all the way out to, to Lakewood, Ohio. And actually, uh, there was damage all the way out to, to Michigan and, and where we are you know, today, Wisconsin. So uh, those 24 states, it was up and down the East Coast and uh, a lot westward from there. This, I'm not sure where it was, and, and I don't... Uh, don't tell people to go out and walk in the forest after a, a major hurricane came through, but uh, this gentleman actually uh, was out there a few days afterwards. Not the smartest thing in the world to do. Central Park, New York City. Got, uh, got hit and lost hundreds of trees. Uh, Central Park's about 80, 843 acres. Uh, one of their uh, major trees that, that came down was a 160-year-old pin oak. And, uh, here we see uh, some of the hundreds of trees that came down here. This 160-year pin oak, uh, they, they actually looked at the tree rings and they're figuring this was one of the original trees uh, of when Central Park was designed and planted. So for them, that was a big loss. There's a, uh, a willow tree by Lasker Pond. It was a, an icon and uh, well-known by a lot of the, uh, the population that used Central Park that went down. And this is a shot of the, uh, the mall. It's a turn of the century postcard uh, showing what the mall looks like. You can see it's very well treed along both sides of it. They lost a 120 year old swamp white oak in the mall. This is how it looks now. So you see there's a lot of effort and a lot of money that goes into Central Park to keep the mall area looking, looking nice and losing a 120 year old swamp white really, uh, really hurt. Shooting down to Baltimore, this is uh, the Osage orange tree in Baltimore. It's about 400 years old, or I should say it was 400 years old. Uh, it's in Druid Park, which is a pretty cool name for a, a park if you're going to have a lot of trees in it. Uh, right by the Reptile House, uh, which is part of the Maryland Zoo, which is in this park. Uh, they actually uh, started a face page, got a lot of uh, stories shared back and forth on the internet about uh, sitting under this, picnicking, uh, the times that uh, they took the kids to the zoo, things along those lines. This is the Lincoln Oak. It's uh, up in uh, New Haven, Connecticut on the New Haven Green. It was uh, named after and planted for Abraham Lincoln. You see it was planted by the let me get this right, the Admiral Andrew Hall Foote's Grand Army of the Republic Post. Uh, actually, uh, Admiral, Admiral Foote was one of Abraham Lincoln's favorite admirals. Uh, he was a native son of uh, New Haven, Connecticut. And uh, in 1909, uh, his post 
planted this tree in commemorating the uh, 100th anniversary of the birth of Abraham Lincoln. Now, having this tree come down would be uh, interesting enough, but within the root system, if you look very carefully, let me see if I can use the pointer one here, you can see this is a human skull with a whole skeleton, the ribs up in this area. What had happened was uh, New Haven Green used to be a cemetery, and they removed all the tombs, made it into a park, but never brought the bodies up and, and reinterred them at the new cemetery. So I'm, I'm guessing that uh, moving forward, if they don't take all their trees down in time and they have some more failures, uh, we're going to be having some more skeletons pop up here in the, uh, in the root sections of some of these trees. Freelinghuizen uh, Arboretum and, and Jonathan's Woods. This area is uh, right up in the middle of North Jersey. And uh, this used to be the summer home of John and Sarah Freelinghuizen. Uh, Sarah's last name before she got married was Ballantyne. Uh, for you beer drinkers, uh, Ballantyne Brewing Company was a pretty substantial brewing company back in the day. It's funny that we're sitting here in Wisconsin talking about beer. Uh, it was left to the Morris County Parks in, in 1969. It's about 127 acres, and you can see this is the main lawn area. Uh, some white pine coming down and crushing the, uh, the flowering cherries on the other side of it. They are going to replant. They're not going to be replanting with white pine. Uh, they're going to make the whole area uh, flowering cherries there. And Jonathan Woods is, uh, is very close by. It's a 16-acre pine plantation that completely blew down. It was planted in the 1930s and uh, they lost the whole thing. Moving back up to Connecticut, this, uh, this is a shot of one of the two large white pines, 120-year-old white pines that flanked the, uh, the entrance uh, going to the caretaker's house. Uh, you can see the caretaker's house is pretty well demolished uh, and it's, uh, it's being taken down. What had happened here, well, Bartford Ar Bartlett Arboretum was uh, 91 acres and was the original home of, uh, of F.A. Bartlett and the research lab and the training area for uh, the F.A. Bartlett Tree Expert Company. Uh, what they think happened here was uh, a few years before this, Hurricane Irene came in, uh, took two or three major trees down and created a nice little, nice little pathway for the wind to whip through. And uh, unfortunately, this white pine was right there. They're not sure about its, its twin on the other side because of this wind corridor that's, that's been created here. So uh, they're making the decision what they're, what they're going to do with its, its pair. That's the other shot of, uh, of the tree coming down on the caretaker's property there. Now, everybody was a little on edge when, uh, when Hurricane Sandy was uh, forecasted to hit ground. Uh, Statue of Liberty did get hit pretty bad. This is a shot of, the, uh, of Liberty Island, which is in the, uh, the area between New York City and, and New Jersey in the harbor. Uh, you can see that the, uh, the trees here before the storm uh, looking pretty good. Nice, nice foliage, nice color, nice density. After it hit, uh, you know, th this was the end of October, so these trees weren't going to be looking 
you know, fantastic anyway, but uh, you can see some of the damage that happened here on Liberty Island. But we started to see in, in spring and summer following this, uh, a, a lot of trees starting to die. You can see the, uh, the foliage is kind of sparse and we're, we're having some problems with the trees there. This is mainly due to uh, the inundation of the, the salt water. The whole area on the, uh, on the whole area of blue on that graphic was, uh, was flood area. Uh, the darker the color, the, uh, the deeper the flood. And what didn't, uh, what didn't affect the trees from a, a saline soil point of view uh, probably affected them from the salt spray uh, of the hurricane because we did see uh, salt damage on the bark of sycamore, London Plain, and pin oak, and some resulting dieback and some dead trees because of that, uh, that salt damage. Ellis Island, which is right next to Liberty Island, pretty much suffered the, the same type of uh, damage. Here's a shot beforehand. Here's a shot the following summer. You can see a, a lot of uh, thin canopies in there and uh, leaves, if there are a lot of leaves on there, are a lot smaller than normal. And the inundation on Ellis Island was, uh, was almost 100%. More of an aerial view, you can see uh, discoloration, and this is after it opened, discoloration of the, uh, of the crowns of a lot of the trees there. They jumped in and, and they, really, uh, they really took care of the infrastructure as fast as they could. Uh, you know, they wanted to get both Liberty Island and, and Ellis Island uh, back open as soon as possible. Uh, but to me, they, they made the wrong, the wrong move. They, they put the, the trees at the end and said, yeah, we'll, we'll take care of them. They've, they've actually got a 9-11 grove on, on Liberty Island. And the hardscape could have waited, you know, another three, four months getting getting the bricks put back and the electric going, it wasn't really going to affect it, but pushing the trees back and not dealing with the issue right off the bat and maybe flushing out some of that salt or uh, you know, putting gypsum and trying to deal with some of those conditions, uh, they really missed the boat. So they're going to have major problems here moving, uh, moving forward in the next couple years uh, with the, the death of these trees. Morristown National Historic Park is, is up in the middle of uh, North Jersey also. Uh, this is an area where uh, George Washington and his troops overwintered in, in 1779. They had hundreds, hundreds of trees come down. The good part about this was, even though the landscape was, uh, was pretty well beat up, uh, none of the structures, none of the historic structures uh, were damaged at all. So uh, that was a good thing for them. This. Uh, this storm actually closed uh, or had areas cordoned off from 69 national parks. So 69 national parks either had to close because of Sandy or they had major areas that were cordoned off and uh, closed to the public. Lots of trees, but again, no damage to the historic structures there. Centennial Watershed State Forest, it's up in eastern Connecticut. 85% uh, of their pines blew down, and they have a half a million board feet of lumber to, uh, to do something with. You see in that, uh, the picture with the truck, there are a few still standing trees. They're going to try to let that regenerate 
from the, from the seed source there. And uh, I'm hoping that those trees can still survive being so open now that they, uh, that they don't have any uh, winds knocking them down. Quick view of some salt damage on, uh, on Long Island here. Five or six interesting photos. And some of these brown colors are really, really attractive if they weren't associated with dead trees here. But Long Island took, uh, took a pretty bad beating. This Christmas tree farm is uh, that little one I showed you on the map uh, to the far left in, in Maryland here. It's up in the Appalachian Mountains. And uh, they didn't have a problem with uh, salt spray or water. Uh, they did have a problem with snow and wind. They had two feet of snow dumped on them uh, with some high winds. And unfortunately, this, uh, this Christmas tree farm had about 3,000 trees that were actually damaged and uh, $200,000 in, in losses. They were catering to, the, uh, to Washington, D.C. and the Washington area in Baltimore, uh, 18 to 35-foot Christmas trees that uh, some of the corporate centers and CIA, uh, some of those other large uh, agencies would order in. So they, they had to cancel most of, their, uh, most of their orders there. There's one that did work. That went into a hotel down in the inner city area or inner harbor area of Baltimore. But they had some, some big losses. That's not the bad news here. Let's, let's look, at, look at some of the survivors. Uh, the uh, 400 Swamp White Oaks at the 9-11 Memorial did very well. Didn't have any problems, no, no damage at all which is good because uh, I know Wayne Dubin from Bartlett Tree Experts has, has talked about this in the past. And I think if they had had a, a damaged tree, it cost about $50,000 to replace it, bringing it in from New Jersey, transporting it, uh, taking the old one out, dealing with the infrastructure underneath it, putting a new one in. Um, so they, they saved themselves some money there. Another good thing was the, uh, the, the survivor tree which is a cavalry pair. Uh, this was the one, might have heard about it on the news, that was about eight feet tall. It had one live branch uh, when, they, when they dug it out, uh, pretty well burned up. Uh, they took it off site, transplanted it, regrew it, and then brought it back in, uh, they brought it back in December 2010. And uh, it looks like this. And it had no damage either from Sandy, even though New York got hit pretty hard. Another survivor was the Rockefeller Center holiday tree. This is an 80-foot Norway spruce, came from Morris County, which is in New Jersey. Uh, they knew Sandy was coming, and so the, uh, the arborist from Rockefeller Center actually had his crew go out, tie it up, uh, try to prevent any major branch damage or, or problems along the way, and they, they were successful. And here you see uh, some removal and the happy uh, the happy owner of it, seeing it being picked up. And there it is being uh, installed with uh, and with the lights on it. So that was a good story to come out of uh, Hurricane Sandy. I lied. I, I have a couple photos of, of actual damaged buildings here. Uh, this is one of the iconic photos to come out of uh, Superstorm Sandy. This is in Union Beach. And uh, this is actually on the cover of one of the books, I believe, of photographs that came out of uh, Hurricane Sandy. 
This community is, is not a, a seaside resort. This is a all year round type of community and uh, they, they got hit pretty badly. Now the story, this, this is a very feel good story I think you'll appreciate. Uh, story is that one of the county uh, employees as he was cleaning up after Hurricane Sandy found an artificial tree. You see that's the one up on the, the top left. And it was floating around, he kind of grabbed it and put it in a, uh, uh, an abandoned lot and hand wrote what's, uh, what's up there. Dear Sandy, you can't wash away hope. You only watered it so more hope can grow. Signed, Union Beach. And this became this big rallying type of place. Like I said, it, it's a full-time community so uh, these people were, were pretty devastated. Uh, they lit it up, they started to get ornaments. Uh, actually they got a shout out from Ellen DeGeneres and uh, on Facebook they, uh, they started uh, getting all kinds of donations and things like that. Gift cards were coming to the county, uh, to the county employee. Uh, he took the gift cards and put them under people's uh, doors anonymously because obviously it was getting around Christmas time. And in uh, the spring of 2013, they took a 12-foot Douglas fir and planted that, had a huge ceremony uh, to replace the, the artificial tree. And here's where it all comes around. The, uh, the family whose artificial tree it was are the ones that bought the real tree. And they had had a, uh, they had a garage sale the week before Sandy hit and the artificial tree didn't sell. So they put it out to the trash. And that's where it you know, came about, blown around, floated around, the county guy picked it up and that's the whole story. So I'm not sure where the survivor part of the tree is there. You know, it was an artificial tree that survived, but it, it was, it, it's the, the human you know, component of that that I, I wanted to tell here. Tree utilization. Barnegat Light Township is a, is a really interesting place. You can see, hopefully here, that Barnegat Light is way up here in contrast to Holgate, which we're going to talk about, is way down there. Uh, Long Beach Island, it's about the same, the same width up at uh, Barnegat Light as it is down in Holgate, but two different occurrences that, that came out of uh, Long Beach Island here. Most of the time, the further north you were in this storm, the, the harder you got hit. But Barnegat Light does a great job of using uh, trees. They've got a maritime forest, which is a, uh, uh, a forested area right there on, on the coast. And they, they built their dunes up very well over the years so that Barnegat Light had zero structural damage. Zero. Holgate, that's a different story. Whatever uh, dunes they had, uh, didn't have a lot of vegetation, didn't have a lot of trees, and they lost a ton of it. The damage to the buildings you can see, pretty, pretty severe. And not only did Barnegat Light, you know, not only do they have this, this whole idea about, you know, keeping the dunes, uh, you know, very well rooted and, and planting a lot of trees and a lot of vegetation, but they, they have a lot of trees and vegetation in and around each one of the houses. It's not a, a typical shore community, even though it is a shore community. This is looking down from the beach 
down toward the bay, and you can see, you know, that's, that's a tree-lined street right there. Holgate, not so much. Born to get light. You know, you can barely see some of these houses. And this is, you know, they, these houses are, are million dollar, two million dollar houses and up. Seeing the shore and the ocean uh, is a big thing for them. But they realize and sacrifice that view of the ocean because they, real, they, they understand the, uh, the benefits that they're going to derive out of all these trees. And again, a shot of Holgate, not so much. So I think that tells a huge story about uh, something that we don't think about benefit-wise trees providing, and that is protection. You know, protection from some of the, the waves, some of the, uh, the wind and things along those lines that we get during major storms. Bradley Beach, uh, same type of situation. Bradley Beach had no structural damage. They lost a lot of their dunes, but they didn't have any structural damage. That's because for 30 years or so, Bradley Beach has been using uh, discarded Christmas trees to build their dunes up. In fact, the residents, they, they got so big that the residents started to complain that the dunes were too big. They had no ocean view. Well, I don't think they're complaining now because Bradley Beach just needed a good street sweeping after Hurricane Sandy uh, and didn't have to worry about structural damage. Here you can see, uh, that's the governor of New Jersey. Uh, after, uh, afterwards, and, and January, February, when they started to uh, rebuild the dunes using uh, Christmas trees. And Berkeley Township, very similar. A lot of years building up the dunes, no, uh, no problems with, uh, with damage to this little condo development. Some of the beaches in New Jersey are private, some of them are public. This is a, a private one. Uh, Dominic right there used uh, Facebook and some social media to get as many trees as he could after Hurricane Sandy to start rebuilding and uh, he was flooded with, uh, with trees to the point where it was given away to some of the, the neighboring communities. The interesting part about this, did anybody see the, uh, the photos and, and uh, the news reels of the, uh, of the big Ferris wheel and some of the amusement uh, rides in the ocean? Yeah, this is less than three miles south of there. So it, it just goes to show that using trees uh, as a maritime forest and, and as a buffer, and even using discarded trees to build your dunes up, protects your investment, protects that structure uh, that's, that's behind it. And of course, we, we play monkey see, monkey do. So uh, here's Island Beach State Park, uh, used 4,000 trees the following winter to, uh, to build up their dunes. Uh, Long Beach, which is the, uh, the barrier island on Long Beach Island, uh, the same thing, 3,000 trees to, to build the dune up. This is Prospect Park, Brooklyn. Uh, Prospect Park lost 500 trees. And this is more the traditional utilization of trees that you would think of. Uh, they just started taking and reusing and recycling a lot of these things to uh, in the playground equipment here. And not only are the kids playing on it, but they're learning about recycling and reusing some of our resources here, even after it fell down from a storm. 
Brooklyn Botanical Gardens pretty much did the same thing. They built a tree house, although it's not a tree house in the traditional sense, and you'll see that in a second. All this lumber uh, was from the, uh, from the downed trees in the botanical gardens. And this is the, uh, the inside platform looking outward. And this is the project once it's done. Uh, they use this as a, uh, an outdoor classroom. Fits about uh, 20 people at a time. And the school kids, you know, come in, visit the garden. And this is one of the, uh, the stops that they, that they use here now. And this is more traditional wood utilization here. This is Topher Dupree. Uh, he went around and collected all kinds of chunks of wood. Uh, I think he's actually in Manhattan. Uh, so everything he could get, he, he grabbed and turned into uh, bowls. 20% uh, of the proceeds for these, uh, these bowls are going to the New York Restoration Project. And the uh, New York Restoration Project was uh, started by Bette Midler. So he got some additional press by presenting uh, Bette Midler one of these uh, bowls made out of uh, recycled wood from the storm. Somebody else, this is uh, Luz Galinda. She's from North Jersey. She lost three or four trees in her, in her backyard and all of a sudden noticed the, the following spring that uh, she didn't have any birds coming to the backyard. So she gathered up some wood uh, during, the, during the storm and after the storm and uh, started to make birdhouses. It's a little show that got uh, put on in the local library. And the Fenua Hall holiday tree. This is an 80-foot Norway spruce also. And I think this is Boston's answer to Rockefeller Center. Uh, it's a central location in, in Boston. This tree actually was leaning towards uh, a neighbor's house. It was uh, damaged in the storm. And the uh, person that, that owned it started calling around, uh, finally contacted Fenua Hall, and they said, yeah, sure, that sounds good. We'll take it. So they took it up there, and they put uh, 45,000 lights on it, and it became their, uh, their tree. The funny part of it is, do you know that, that like Boston fans and New York fans really don't get along much? Uh, this, this tree came from Smithtown, Long Island, New York. that got sent up to Boston. So maybe trees are a way to bridge that uh, competition between New Yorkers and Bostonians. I don't know. Lincoln Park in Rutherford, New Jersey. Uh, Lincoln Park lost these three trees here. Uh, Rutherford known as, is known as the Barrow of Trees. In fact, their website is thebarrowoftrees.com. And uh, they were looking to uh, get these three trees kind of remanufactured into uh, either three uh, pillars or actually a, uh, uh, a gateway type of thing and have a wood carver come and actually carve scenes of historic interest from Rutherford and some of Rutherford's founding fathers and whatnot, including Abraham Lincoln, who's the, the park's named after. Unfortunately, this didn't get funded. And I, I think we're going to see the further away that we get from Hurricane Sandy, uh, the more we're going to start to forget. And, and things are going to be put on the back burner here. I just use that as an example. Trees and utilities, thanks to Ted Gilman and the University of uh, Florida and some of their studies, we know that if trees are pruned correctly, uh, they survive better than, uh, than unpruned trees. 
and that if we prune them incorrectly, uh, they're going to be more susceptible to wind damage than if we didn't uh, prune them incorrectly. And I think a lot of the uh, utilities uh, found that out, but in a good way. Uh, PPL is uh, one of the electric uh, utilities in the eastern part of Pennsylvania, and they came out after uh, Hurricane Sandy and said that they believe its, its comprehensive vegetation management uh, program really uh, paid dividends because they did not have a lot of major problems. Their major problems only came from trees outside the right-of-way that they really didn't have control over. And you can see that uh, J.D. Power and Associates uh, ranked them very high uh, for uh, performance after the, after the hurricane. New Jersey Department of Transportation pretty much came up with the same thing. Uh, during a 2011 snowstorm, they decided to get a little more serious about their, uh, their vegetation management program, uh, trimmed back a lot of trees, took some problem trees down, and the spokesman for DOT said that it definitely paid off because they had very few problems with, uh, with road closures uh, due to trees after the, uh, after the storm. Jersey Central, uh, uh, Jersey Central Power and Light and uh, Public Service Electric and Gas, these are two of the uh, New Jersey utilities. Uh, they've done a good job prior to, but uh, you can see JCP&L is going to put $24 million into tree trimming in 2013, and PSE&G said that they're going to prune more trees or prune trees more frequently than they have in the past. And they're also trying to uh, get their right tree, right place utility uh, tree planting program going again. Metropolitan Ed, same type of thing. They're, uh, they're along the, uh, the eastern part of Pennsylvania, too. Uh, they're trying to uh, deal with trees on private property and trying to give their, uh, the private property owners uh, a little more say in, in what they do. So they have a choice to go either with trimming or a choice to go with, let's take down that large tree that's not in real good condition and uh, Metropolitan Ed will pay for a replacement tree. So we are starting to see, uh, see some of the utilities uh, deal with some problems with, uh, with trees and the storm damage. Uh, these two Connecticut uh, companies uh, wanted to, to move forward with some enhanced tree trimming and uh, get the, uh, the trees a little further away from the wires. Uh, unfortunately, as you can tell with a couple of the photographs up there and that little, uh, that little quote, they, they had a lot of pushback. Even though the, uh, the Board of Public Utilities had okayed the, uh, the enhanced uh, tree pruning program, uh, they, they kind of had to, to pull back here because of public pressure. The good news is, moving forward, uh, they are starting to get about 90% of the residents in, in the towns agreeing to uh, the enhanced tree pruning program. So even though in, in some uh, it was a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction maybe, uh, overall I think when things settled out, people understood that uh, some of the problems that they had with, uh, with their power had to do with the trees and they're a little more open to, uh, to have them cut back a little harder here. And of course, never let any, anything like a hurricane go by in New Jersey uh, without putting some legislation out there. Uh, these, were, these were all four, uh, four pieces of legislation that uh, were introduced in, uh, 
in the New Jersey uh, legislature, either through the, the Assembly or the Senate. Uh, none of them were uh, passed. Uh, some of them I, I don't quite understand, like if a new property owner you know, comes in, he's got to notify the utility within 10 days, and then the utility's got to go out and uh, do some, some pruning. Uh, I don't know why they put it on the new property owner. The good one, uh, which still didn't pass, but I, I know there's a pilot program out there, is, is the last one, and that is uh, it requires the utilities to, to sit down with each one of the municipalities on a yearly basis and kind of talk and figure out a management plan that they're going to put together for the, the trees within that community. And I think the more often that the municipalities and the utilities get into this conversation and, and understand each other's uh, viewpoint, the, uh, the better it's going to be for everybody. And then in up here, I just wanted to put the slide up to show you what I was coming across talking to a lot of municipalities and a lot of people. Uh, you know, what, what's the trends? Did we learn anything? Are, are we changing our behavior at all uh, after this storm? Well, for the short term, a lot of municipalities loosened up their ordinances where you might have to pay, uh, you know, for a permit. They were waiving that, whether it was you can take three, three trees down per year. Uh, they were waiving that. Uh, some of them were, were actually uh, letting private landowners take down larger trees, even if there was nothing the matter with the tree, just because the, the landowners were just afraid. You know, it was that fear factor uh, right after the storm. Uh, some of them have decided that uh, their risk assessment, they're, they're going to be a little lower tolerant of, uh, of risky trees. And, uh, some of them actually, like we, we just saw, changed their attitude a little bit toward, uh, toward line clearance. I think the important one here is uh, change of species planted. Not too many are, are looking to have wind-resistant trees planted or smaller trees planted. Uh, really hasn't, uh, hasn't caught on, and I think that's, that's really going to help uh, power problems and, and uh, actual destruction you know, of property and things along those lines moving forward. If, we can put that smaller tree in the right spot there. So just a couple examples here. Uh, Muncie Park in Long Island uh, allowed residents to submit a permit instead of requiring the licensed arborist to submit the permit. And uh, they allowed healthy trees to come down if they agreed to replant with a, a smaller tree. Wayne Township, they'll go back and, and they'll replant your sidewalk or your tree, but it's got to be on the other side of the sidewalk, and it's got to be at least four feet on the other side of the sidewalk. And Glen Rock, that's the Glen Rock there to the right, uh, had a policy of planting, uh, planting large trees uh, with no trees under the wires. So they saw that as a, a balance. We're not planting anything under the wires, so we've got to plant large trees to compensate for that. Uh, they're getting away from that. They're planting trees under the wires. They're working with uh, PSE and G to, to do it. And then they're starting to plant medium-sized trees because they had a lot of stuff come down. They were all large trees. Uh, in Glen Rock, you can't plant an oak anymore. So they're really getting away from large trees and, and starting to move toward a, a smaller <coughs> canopy. And real quick to, uh, to end up here, a lot of, lot of replanting after, after Sandy. Uh, this was a uh, National Arbor Day Foundation uh, enterprise with the state of New Jersey, state of New Jersey's uh, seedling 
nursery, uh, grew 115,000 tree seedlings, handed them out to the, uh, to the cities and towns, and it was paid for by National Arbor Day Foundation. Super Bowl, which was in uh, North Jersey, uh, the NFL came and uh, had 2,014 trees planted in New York and 2,014 trees planted in New Jersey. You can see uh, some, of those, uh, some of those trees and, and some of the, uh, the planting activities right there. And New Jersey Tree Foundation took those trees and planted them in a lot of different places. The Bayhead School right here, every student participated with this, every one in the school. Uh, New Jersey Tree Foundation got some money from TD Bank and from American Forest and did some more planting in, in a couple locations. You'll see Bound Brook right there underwater. They got hit pretty hard. And uh, we'll have uh, people of any age and uh, any religious denomination helping out if they want to plant trees. New York replanting, they got on it really quickly too. Nassau County on Long Island uh, was planting trees that following spring, as was Queens. Nassau County Soil and Water Conservation District uh, had a plant sale and sold 11,000 tree and shrub seedlings. JetBlue Airline, which is out in New York City, ponied up some money and um, when 2,400 trees were planted in Highland Park. And Brooklyn Bridge Park uh, started to, to make some good moves, substituting pond cypress for, for dawn redwood trees that had been there previously. Uh, so any kind of flooding issue they could uh, they could minimize, and there's all kinds of opportunities still open and probably for the next five years will be open uh, for tree planting there. So lessons learned. Well, I learned that, uh, that this hurricane did not have as, as large an impact uh, on people's uh, psyche for, for managing local tree populations as I thought it was gonna. Uh, you know, we, we did see some changes here but no movement, so to speak. Uh, we're not changing our tree species for the most part. Anything that was changed was short term. And uh, I'm equating it to the, to, the, to the reason that we don't get a lot of major hurricanes up, up in that New York, New Jersey area. And uh, I think the population is looking at this kind of as an isolated incident as opposed to further south where they get a lot more hurricanes and maybe they'll, they're learning from it. I'm not sure we're, gonna, we're really gonna learn from it as much as we should have. And the opportunity that presented itself, I'm not sure uh, whether we're gonna reap all the rewards or not. Uh, as an industry, I, I think there's a lot of uh, opportunities to lessen the damage caused by storms. Uh, we did see that uh, you know, some of the utilities uh, stepped up and, and are trying to deal with it. Uh, some of the municipalities were having changes of heart and, uh, and starting to change their ways a little bit, but there's, there's more we can do. And I think the major thing that I got out of this, even though as an industry we, we understand that connection between people and trees, we don't understand it as much as we think. I mean, going back to Union Beach and, and the Tree of Hope and the utilization and the replanting efforts and, and everything that, that came out of this, there has got to be some genetic connection that we've got with trees because the, uh, the amount of importance that people 
put on trees after this storm was just incredible. So there is, there is a connection there that even we as tree people might not even understand. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this. I had a great time putting this together. Uh, thanks for hanging around and, and staying here. And uh, I had a great time. Thanks. This concludes Dave Johnson's talk on the effects and recovery efforts following Superstorm Sandy. If you would like to learn more about this subject, you can find additional materials at the ISA web store, including a four-part series on storm response, starting in the June 2013 edition of Arborist News. If you would like to receive CEUs for listening to this lecture, visit the ISA online store and select Online CEU Quizzes. Thanks for listening to this episode brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts, caring for America's trees since 1907. Remember to subscribe to this podcast series and join us next time for another episode of Science of Arboriculture. Trees in every country. Trees, you know we can. Work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge. Traditional skills and modern techniques. Whatever language you speak, you have a world to offer every day. Climb with the ISA.